As I've already mentioned to you this morning, uh, we've taken a break for several weeks now in our study in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 13 through 17. Uh, we'll return to that this morning. Uh, just to remind us of the context and what's going on uh, as we begin to look at this passage again, uh, Jesus has told his disciples that he was going away and their world just fell all apart. Uh, they, they could not conceive of uh, working for the Father, of, of doing the Father's will. They could not conceive of any kind of fulfillment of messianic prophecies if Christ was going to die and be gone. And so, really, the, the context of all that he teaches in these chapters is, yes, I'm going to be gone, and, 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 and yes, uh, I'm going to have to go to the cross, but I am going to send another comforter who is the exact same kind of comforter that I've had. And when he gets here, you're going to be able to do greater works than, than when I was here with you. And so the idea that he's trying to get them to understand is that you can continue my work even in my absence. And so as we look at these and study these, understand that, that this is his teaching on continuing the, the kingdom work of our Father. And so this morning, the third mark of Christianity or being a Christian is that of truth. Uh, we've talked about some of the marks uh, of being a child of God, of being a church member, and, and those marks of things that we must be and we must do if we are going to be busy in doing our Father's work. The first one that we talked about was joy, and we talked about how that seemed kind of at first maybe an odd place to start. But I would submit to you that a lot of work for our Father is going undone because the world does not see true joy in the hearts and the lives of God's people. I mean, come tell me about, and we talked about this, come tell me about a restaurant that you uh, went and ate at. It's a brand new restaurant, and, and talk about that restaurant the way we often do about church and, and, and our relationship with the Lord, and I probably don't want to go. But now if you come and, man, the service was great, the food was wonderful, and they give you more than you could possibly eat, and, and the atmosphere, and it was clean, and, you know, and, and I can see that, that joy that you had from your dining experience. Now I'm probably going to want to go. So God said we had to display joy. Does that mean that everything in our lives is going to go the way we want it to? Absolutely not. There will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be difficulties. But it is joy that will help us to get through those things. And, and, and you and I do not have to lose joy because we're going through a difficult part of our life. The second thing that he uh, talked about was holiness. And, and that we had to be a holy people. And every one of these you can look at and say, well, here's one of the reasons why our churches are where they're at today. When the world sees no difference between church members and themselves, they're not going to be a part. They're not going to come in desire. They don't see anything different. So why should they make that change in their life? This morning, we'll consider that third mark after joy and holiness, and that is of truth. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he, could give eternal, or that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. 
and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name to the men which thou hast given me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Father, I, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thy own name those that uh, thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in thy name. Those that, uh, pardon me, let me read that one again. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou, gave, have give, those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And here's where we'll really begin to take note for this morning's message. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So we go to the Lord in word of prayer. Brother Charles, would you lead us please, sir? Amen. We must be a people of joy. We must be a people of holiness. And this morning we'll consider that we must be people of the truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In just a little over a chapter from here, in chapter 18, uh, as Pilate is trying Jesus, uh, uh, he's going to ask Jesus, so what is truth? What, what am I to believe? What, what is truth? Uh, they say that you've come to replace Caesar as king, and you've said that you are king, but you're the king of the Jews, and, and, and some say that you're not, and some say this, and I've heard all manner of things, and I just, I, I need to know. 
what really is truth. This morning, whether they know it or not, the world is searching for what is true. And we have the truth, not because we're better than them, but because we have the Word of God and we've accepted the Word of God as that standard of truth. I want to talk this morning about being people of the truth and how that's going to enable us to do what the Father has told us to do. John also records an incident in chapter 4 when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Uh, and, and for the Jew to go through Samaria was, a, was a, an unheard of thing. And Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. And, and, and later on, we'll find out as you read the rest of the chapter that that was because there was a woman that was going to be at the well. Now, she's not at the well at the normal time to go get water because she doesn't want to be seen by everybody else. She thinks she can go at the middle of the day and get her water and get back and not have to interact with anybody because of the lifestyle that she's lived. Jesus knew exactly when she was going to be there, and Jesus was there when she came. And they entered into this discussion about the living water and drinking of it that you may never thirst again. And being a lost person, she did exactly what lost people often do when you talk to them about being saved. They want to change the subject. And so Jesus is witnessing to her and telling her about eternal life and, and that he is the source of that. And she says, well, now, wait a minute. Uh, your people say that we're supposed to worship in this mountain. My people, we say we worship in this mountain. Which one is true? Where, where are we supposed to worship? She's just wanting to change the subject. She doesn't want to talk about her sin. And Jesus made the statement, the Father is searching for those that will worship him. And that worship must be done in truth and in spirit. The Father is searching for those. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but every time I think of that passage and I read it, especially on a Sunday, I, I wonder if sometimes the Father's not looking from heaven and, and we've gathered for our services that day and, and, and there is that, that anticipation that today faith will worship me in truth and spirit and, and He's searching for us to do that. And at the close of service, He has to shake His head and said, well, they missed that opportunity again. It just saddens my heart. And that's not said judgmental of you, that, that could be said of me. Just because we walk through doors don't mean we've worshipped the Lord. Matter of fact, we get pretty good at walking through the doors and not worshipping the Lord if we're not careful. I, I, I submit to you as evidence in the whole nation of Israel. <laughs> They walked through doors, they brought their animals, they brought their sacrifices, they kept the law, they didn't do this on the Sabbath, they did this, they didn't do that. They, you know, and yet God said, you don't worship me. Your heart's far from me. We're looking for those that would worship. Truth is the basis of worship. Jesus said, uh, as, as, as he was teaching this woman this, and I want us to gather these truths from that, that God alone is to be worshipped. I think, I think we struggle with this from time to time. We read the Old Testament, we read of Israel and their, their love with Baal or Baal. That's the southern way of saying the Hebrew, God, or the Hebrew word, Baal. They had a fascination with Baal. They had a fascination with Astaroth. They had a, a fascination with golden calves. They had a, a burning desire for all the gods of this world, even to the point that they would offer their own children as a sacrifice to that god. 
they would lay their child on an altar of fire. Can you imagine this morning taking your young child and putting it on, a, on, a, on an altar and lighting the fire and, and you have now worshipped that false god by burning your child alive. God never asked of anything like that. But they were quick to do it for these false gods. I think sometimes we struggle with that because we don't see idols of Baal. We don't have little false gods set up here and there and yonder. And we might be tempted to think about all those third world countries that have that. But I, I would want you to understand this morning that, that, that covetousness, according to the New Testament, is idolatry. I would have you to understand this morning that there's a lot of things that a lot of people put in place of serving God. So, well, I don't bow down and worship it. Well, but you have put it before God. As a nation, we've put sports before God. As a nation, we have put the, the dollar before God. As a nation of people, we have put pleasure before God. Even within His church, even within His family, we put building houses, we put vacations, we put jobs, we put everything else. Listen, we even sometimes put our kids in front of God, and that's not where they belong. You want to be the best parent, you put God first. And you'll be the best parent you can be to your kids. God alone is to be worshipped, and God alone is to be our first thought in the morning and our last thought at night. God alone is to be the desire of every beat of our heart. And we, we desire so much other stuff. Truly, we find ourselves in a generation wondering why people don't go to church. And I get asked that all the time. Well, a lot of our people are very, very faithful. And a lot of our people are faithful if there's nothing else in the world. Nothing else in the world to do that day. And that's, that's sad. But it has become so true. God alone is to be worshipped. He is to be worshipped in spirit. Do you agree with me that anything taken to an extreme is dangerous? If you get up in the morning and you have a headache, what generally do you do? Anybody have a headache? Or am I just the only one that has headaches? Brother Charles, you ever get up and have a headache? What do you do? Take, take an aspirin, Tylenol, whatever. Well, do you ever take a couple hundred of them? Well, not at one time. Why not? Some of y'all going to build a fire here in the next few weeks probably? Well, I, most of us don't live in that world anymore, but you're going to turn the heater on? Fire's a good thing, isn't it, when you're cold? But when it gets out of control, when it's gone to an extreme, it's a very dangerous thing. I know this is not popular among a lot of us as traditional, dyed-in-the-wool, missionary, Baptist, moss-backed, missionary, Baptist, whatever you want to call it. But God said, if you're going to worship me, you better worship me in spirit. We have strived for so long 
to make sure that we taught our people to worship in spirit and not in emotion, that we have taken the emotion out of worshiping God completely out of the equation. We have turned it into a, a set thing of do this, do this, do this, do this. There can be no joy. There can be no tears. There can be no response. We can't raise our hand. We can't say hallelujah. We can't say praise the Lord. We can't say amen. There was a time when we as Baptist people could feel the Spirit of God moving in our services and we would respond to that. But it don't happen anymore. And thus, God is still looking, are they going to worship me today? Now, don't get me wrong, all right? God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos and confusion. So if you start jumping pews and running around and you get into holy laughter and you fall out on the floor convulsing in your holy laughter, I'm going to tell you, you've probably crossed the line and went way too far. But would to God that we would get back to experiencing God's presence and power in our worship services. Brother David just took all my thunder in his Sunday school class this morning because I was going to talk about, I remember, I remember even in churches that I've pastored, so I don't have to go all the way back to as a kid, where church members would get bad news from doctors. And as they would share that with the church, other members would say, hey, would, 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 would he or she, would, would they mind just coming down here for a minute? And you know what the rest of the church did? We gathered around them, and we put our hands on them, and, and there wasn't anything, listen, there was no power oozing out of my hand. But there was the response of love and kindredship, and the recognition that if we would bow and we would pray over this brother or this sister, that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. But we don't do anything like that anymore. We have gotten so afraid of being called a charismatic. We are so afraid that somebody's going to look at us and say, well, that heretic, and we are scared to death anymore just to worship God. And God said, if you're going to worship me, you've got to worship me in spirit. There has to be some joy. There has to be some sorrow. There has to be some emotion to it. I, 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 I struggle with the idea that how are we not having some emotions this morning? Does it not break our heart when last Sunday morning the attendance is 38 for Sunday school? This Sunday morning is 48. And on this Sunday morning there are empty pews as far as the eye can see. Where's the emotion that we would cry out to God? God, please. Deal with our members that are, 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 are half-hearted about their attendance. Deal with those that are putting all of those other things before you. Some of you that are going through some very difficult situations, you probably don't even know that or know this. But this morning right there in that room, myself and Brother David Tate called your name out specifically before the Lord and said, Lord, they are going through a very difficult time. Much has been heaped upon them. Give them grace. Give them strength. Help them. 
their hearts heavy. They're discouraged. They're defeated. Sin is wreaking havoc in their family's life. There's needs that are there. God, please show yourself powerful and grow in us a heart that says we want your honor and glory, not just a fix to the problems of our lives. You're going to worship him, guys. We have got to find that happy balance place. We can't take all the joy, all the sorrow, all the tears, all the rejoicing. We can't take it all out of the equation and it be worship. Again, I'll offer as, a, as, a, as a, an example. All right? When David got ready to worship the Lord, what did he do? Not this David or that David. King David. Does God change? And yet God didn't say, Whoa, David, you're dancing before the Lord. You've crossed that line. You've gone too far. God didn't condemn him for that. If you're going to worship me, you must worship me in spirit. And you also then must worship me in truth. Well, how do I know where that line is? The line is truth. That line is truth. When the Bible says that the charismatic gifts are gone, and it does say that, and our worship now involves going back to those charismatic gifts, you've crossed the line because now you're not worshiping him in truth. See, that's why I say you can't, you can't run to an extreme either way. You can't take all the spirit and out of the joy and all the emotion out of it. Neither can you take all the truth out of it in order to experience all those things. There is a happy meeting place, a, a middle ground there. We worship in truth and we worship in spirit. And if you don't get anything else, I'm going to keep saying it. Please understand that Jesus said the Father is still searching for those that will get around to this. Truth is the basis of our worship. Truth is the means of our sanctification. What sanctification is? Most of the religious world today says that sanctification is a second outpouring of grace. In other words, you're saved, you get baptized, you join a church, and as you grow and as you mature, and they won't tell you this way, but here's what their theology is, as you get better and better and better and closer and closer to God, uh, God has no choice now but to give you an outpouring of a second giving of grace. And that it is at that point that now you're able to do all of these different things. That's not sanctification. How do I know? Well, Jesus was sanctified, wasn't he? Isn't that what he said? Uh, Jesus could never get any closer to God than, than, than he was. He's, he's been God since day one. Sanctification literally means set apart. It's the same word that we, we see translated as holy so many times in the scriptures. Consecrated, dedicated, and it means to be set apart. Truth is the means by which I become set apart unto God. I'm set apart from something. I'm set apart from the world. We're to be set apart from the allurements of the world. That doesn't mean we have to take a vow of poverty and never have more than, than, than 28 cents in our pocket. That's not what he's talking about. 
but I'm more drawn and allured to God than I am the things of this world. I am set apart from some things to Him. The old flesh, it's not just the allurements of the world, the old flesh. The old flesh has the desire to do this and to do that and to go here and, to, and, and, and all of this stuff. That's what the flesh wants to do. But to be sanctified means that I'm set apart from those desires and I'm set apart to the desire of serving God. And truth is the means that that is accomplished. Well, how do you know that? And, and how does that work? Thy word have I hid in my heart, what? That I might not sin. See, my, thy word, God, steers my life. Steers me away from those things that I don't need to be set apart to and steers me towards those things that I should be set apart to. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So sanctification is accomplished through truth. And that's exactly what Jesus says. In verse 17 of our text, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Father, they don't need another outpouring. Father, they don't need a, a, a religious experience. Father, all they need is your word to be accepted in their heart and life as the absolute final authority. What do I do? What do I not do? Well, it's dependent upon the word of God. That's how we become sanctified. The results of sanctification or sanctified people. In our text, did you not catch the idea that Jesus said, Father, in the same way that you've sent me into the world with a work to do, I have now sent them into the world with a work to do. Y'all, would you, would you agree with me this morning that if we're not sanctified, set apart, dedicated to God, we're never going to accomplish his work. Never. Not even put a dent in it. Not scratch the surface. We have got to sell out. Oh, how churches today, oh, how God's people don't need a revival meeting necessarily. Although it may come from that. They don't need some big name preacher. You can get some nobody like me. You see, it's not in a series of meetings. It's not in a man, but it's in the book. There's our revival. There's the changer of our life. There is the means by which we now put God at that place in our lives where he belongs. And we say, everything else, get behind that. It's the book. And the results of that is we become exactly what Jesus asked us to be, out into the world to be salt and to be light. Salt and light are nothing more than influence agents. Take bland food, food, put some salt on it, now it's not bland. Take a dark room, turn on the light, and now the darkness is influenced by the light. You and I are to influence the world. And I'm going to keep saying this, the key to influencing the world is not be like the world. The key to influencing the world is to be sanctified. Jesus said that. As you sent me, I've sent them, Father. Truth is the basis for worship. Truth is the means of our sanctification. Truth is the entrance into salvation. And I'll hurry very quickly through this point because there are several sub-points to it. But 
we need to understand this morning the truth about humanity. Sorry about the double click. You just get a brief, quick view of the second point too then. Even within that which carries Missionary Baptist ABA names, there is a wandering, a straying from the truth of humanity. There are doctrinal statements of organizations that used to be affiliated with us and remain affiliated with us for quite some time. And their doctrinal statement is that man is not really sinful, he just kind of has a bad attitude towards God. God help us that we are so worried about stepping on someone's toes or offending somebody that we will not stand for truth anymore. Y'all, listen to me now. If we take the depravity of humanity off the table and it's no longer a part of the equation, you tell me what drives humanity to a saving God then. If there's no sin, why go to God? If there's no depravity, why do I need salvation? If there's not a busted fellowship, why do I need that fellowship restored? We can't take truths of God's word off of the table in the interest of keeping people happy. Now, I use that as an example, and you can put that truth to any other doctrine you want. I've listened to God's people for 30 years. Well, we can't, place, we can't do discipline anymore. Well, why not? Well, it would hurt so-and-so's feelings. We can't take the Word of God and take it off the table. Truth is truth. And it's got to be accepted as an absolute truth. It is our means and our entrance into salvation. You take truth out of it, there's no need for salvation. The truth about God. God is holy and righteous. Period. Not he's pretty good. Not he's the big band upstairs. God is the eternal, holy, and righteous creator of all things. And as holy and righteous, He is well within, I don't want to say well within His rights, but it's the only, we'll do it this way then. As holy and righteous God and sinful mankind, and the Bible will point this out in Romans 6.23, God has no other choice than to be separated from us. Because of who he is. You remove the truth of who we are, you remove the truth of who he is, and now all of a sudden there's no grounds for uh, 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 separation, and so there's no need for, again, a Savior. The truth is our entrance into salvation, the truth of humanity, the truth of God, the truth about Jesus. Jesus is not like Confucius. He's not like Aristotle. He's not like Plato. He's not like some other philanthropist. He is not some, some, some philosophical figure. 
He is not a teacher. He is not a rabbi. He is not uh, a, a, a mythological or, or, or something like that. Listen to me. Jesus is the Son of God, robed in flesh, died on a cross, rose from the grave, and is back at the Father's right hand to make intercession for lost man. That's my Jesus. Anything less? And you've got less than truth and you don't have a Savior anymore. Jesus. The truth about Jesus, he lived a perfect life. I was thinking about it this morning as I was thinking about uh, some points that I wanted to add or fine-tune and, and it dawned on me that when he died, they were celebrating the Passover and, and that he literally became the Passover lamb, according to Paul. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I've not thought about this in this light for some uh, 30 years of pastoring and preaching now. But you know, when it came time for Passover and you went and got a lamb that would be your sacrificial lamb for the Passover, did you just go out there and pick any old ratty lamb? What did you pick? You had to pick, and, and listen to me, yes, best, but you better carry it a step further. It had to be a perfect lamb, all right? Spotless, without blemish. If you just say you're best, then if I've got a blemished lamb, it's my happen to be my least blemished, well, then I can offer it. No, it's not my best. It is I have got to make sure that this lamb is spotless and pure. And to that extent, once I have secured said lamb or I have picked it out of my flock and it meets those criteria, guess what I did three days before it was time to offer that lamb? Your wives will love this, guys. You know what you did? You brought that thing in the house. And for the next three days and three nights, guess where it lived? In your house. Why? We want to watch and make sure that it is indeed without blemish. And we don't want it out there in the pasture where it may develop blemish. All right? So for three days, we brought it in and we observed it to see if it was quality. Let me tell you something, that same, that same idea uh, carries over into Christ. For three years, this world observed him very closely, didn't they? They watched him as he went here, and he went there. And they watched him as he taught, and as he did. And over and over and over and over again, did they not try to arrest him? Did they not try to bring him to, to, to some type of a, a situation where they could deal with him? And every single time, they laid traps for him. They could never catch him. Why? He was that faultless lamb of God. Why, why, why would men want to take away that truth? And yet, it abounds everywhere. Truth is the entrance into salvation. The truth about humanity. The truth about God. The truth about Jesus. The truth about obtaining salvation. For too long, we've told people, just repeat after me. And just ask Jesus into your heart. And we've not explained what all that meant. I, I shudder to think how many people one of these days, like the rich man, are going to lift up their eyes from heaven and say, wait a minute. This church told me. And this preacher told me. And, and I thought all I had to do 
was this or that and the other. Just ask Jesus. I asked Jesus in my heart. Listen to me. That's great if you and I understand that by asking Jesus into your heart, you're including the idea of repentance, and you're including the idea of confession, and you're including the idea of true faith. That is depending in Him, not just believing that He existed. But in an interest to make sure that our numbers stay where they are and we can keep up with First Baptist and, and, and Hohannel Baptist and whatever all other Baptists, in order to keep up with and make sure that we can brag with them, we just try to get people to come and not share with them that you don't obtain salvation on your path. You obtain salvation on God's path. And it must involve repentance and faith. Truth is our interest, entrance to salvation the truth about heaven, and the truth about hell. Again, I, I just want to remind you what I've said earlier this morning. Truth is truth whether you accept it or not. And whether you believe it or not, I'm here to tell you this morning, based on the authority of the Word of God, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they put that faith in Him, they've repented of their sins, they are secure and are going to heaven. Everybody else that has not done that and has reached that age of accountability, and that's not necessarily a yearly thing, Everybody else, then by very nature, have rejected that gift. And trust me, there is a hell. And that's where you will spend eternity. People don't preach about it anymore. We don't want to scare anybody. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. We don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. I can't tell you the last time I listened to a man get up and preach a sermon about the torments of hell. It's a taboo subject anymore. Jesus said, if you're going to do my work, you better stick to the truth. The truth about God's expectation. I want you to do me a favor. Would you, would you pay close attention to verse 19 with me for just a minute? Uh, out of all that I've read this morning and talked about, this verse jumped off the pages to me this morning. And for their sakes, matter of fact, I added this point. I was going to stop at three points. You know, you got to have three points. So I was going to stop after that third point. But this morning I added this because as I was going through my notes one more time and I read this verse, it hit me. It just jumped off the pages. And for their sakes. Now let's stop for just a minute. Who's there? It's the disciples that are there with him at that time. All right? The 11. One of them's already went out and committed suicide. So, and for these 11, Jesus said, I sanctify myself. As a matter of fact, the I, although you don't see it in the English translation, is emphatic. It's stated twice in the Greek. And we usually show that in our translations by saying, I myself have done this. Jesus is saying, Father, in this prayer that he's praying to the Father, he's saying, Father, here's what happened. I, myself, have sanctified myself in their presence so that they might see it for their sakes. The word for their sakes is the word heaper, and it has the idea of on their behalf, on their account, I've done this. 
Well, what are you getting at, Brother Jeff? For their half, for their sakes, I myself have sanctified myself in order that they might be sanctified through the truth. You know what Jesus just said? Father, I sanctified myself as an example for them. And I could almost see Jesus saying, because in the year 2000s, 2018, is going to be this movement that says, this is all good stuff, but it's beyond us. And you just got to accept where people are. And you just got to understand that it's their life. And you just got to understand that there are other things in life. And you just got, and, and, and God understands all these things. And you can't expect people to, to, to put God first. You can't expect people to do this. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, I have put you first in my life to the point that I have left the glory of heaven. Remember, he prayed that, Father, I want that glory back that I once had. I left that. And I came here. And they've been laughing at me. They've been spitting on me ever since. I had not had anything in this world, let alone the riches of it. The birds have nests. The foxes have dens. I don't have anything. I've suffered I've been hungered. I have faced temptation. I have tasted frustration. I've been disgusted with these guys from time to time as a man. I've just, I've done all this. And I'm going to go to a cross. Because I want to? No. Because it's your will for me, Father. And I've done all that so that my disciples will know if they're going to continue your work, you have to be first in their life also. I've set the example, and I expect them to follow it. The truth about God's expectations. He's never asked us to do anything that he hadn't first already done. He's never asked us to do anything that is too great, too difficult, or too costly. For he has already paid the ultimate price. Christ sanctified himself for a reason. To set the example that we might follow. The truth. You don't have to accept it today. You can say these are the ramblings of a preacher that's disappointed because our numbers are down and been dwindling for a while. You can can dismiss it any way you want to. That's your choice. But what I've presented to you, I've tried to use the Word of God to to be the evidence that what I've presented to you is true. And whether you accept it or whether you don't, you and I have an appointment before the righteous judge one of these days. And in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said that there's going to be a lot of books opened. One of it's going to be his word. 
Now, this is for the lost, I understand. But this book's going to be open because there will not be anybody that can say, well, I didn't know. Well, I didn't think. I didn't this or I didn't the other. The book is going to be opened. And every man that wants to argue with the Lord about his judgment is going to be able to be pointed to a passage and say, here's the truth. And it's been preserved all these years so that you might find it. I understand John 12, 48 is for the lost. But he's going to judge his children according to truth as well. May we get back to worshiping him in truth and spirit. May we get back to being sanctified by truth. May we get back to telling the lost world the truths that they must accept if they're going to be saved. May we get back to following the example of the one who died for us, sanctifying himself so that we might sanctify ourselves. Father, we come to you this morning as we stand very quietly and Father, I, I pray that right now, not the words that I have spoken, but your word and your spirit is searching through our hearts. And that we would understand nothing, nothing and no one stands this morning more important than us responding to truth from your word this morning. Father, break our hearts, burden us for that work that we need to do. Break our hearts if we've true enough gone too far and we've taken all the joy and all the sorrow of repentance out of our worship. Father, our church right now has many families that are facing some mighty big challenges I realize a lot of our people don't even know them and it's not important whether we know them you know them God give us a heart that would care for one another and would just bind us together in love and show support and uplift that brother or sister in Christ Father, just move in our hearts and in our midst this morning that we might accomplish your will. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.